moment in we moment in we moment in we moment in we Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome back for another episode of Moments in Weed, our companion series to great moments in weed history in which we talk about the cannabis topics of today. Bean, what do you have for us? Oh, well, I got a moment and I got some weed to kick things (laughs) off, of course. Same, same. And of course, if you're not quite ready to blaze with us, you can hit pause and you can do a long list of things that involve putting weed into your human body. What I got right now is a nice little joint from Brother David's. They're a very cool company. They focus on sustainable and even regenerative cannabis farms, and it's the people behind Dr. Bronner's. Oh, no kidding. That is fantastic. I'm just smoking on a fatty of some weed I got from the Alpaca Club. And of course, if you're only listening to us smoke weed, that's, of course, super fun. One of the best things you could do with your life force. But if you want to see us smoke weed, like all of our Patreon subscribers, you can join up now, support this show, and get the video version at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. Thank you so much to everyone who currently supports us on Patreon. If you love the show... Please check us out at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com and consider supporting us on there. You'll get all kinds of fun bonus content, including the video version of this thing we're recording right here. You'll be able to see me in my tie-dye drug rag and fuzzy (laughs) sweatshirt and my Lucha Libre dad hat that I've got going on here. Bean is on a very, like, uh, you know, almost like Heaven's Gate cult vibe. (laughs) A <laughs> uh, white, white shirt standing in a field of green, but the shirt, of course, has swag on it, uh, which is ironic because neither of us has ever smoked swag. Those pictures are false, okay? We don't want it sullying our good name. No, just kidding. We've all smoked swag. Anybody who bought a dime bag from me behind the bowling alley on Route 22 in the late 90s, that was... <laughs> Swagish, but I would say it was a little better. It was better than what you had. Hey, you, you, you came to me. <laughs> you were there buying it. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but yeah, so please check us out and thank you if you already support us on Patreon. Great moments in weedhistory.com. Yes, and a big thank you to everybody who supported at the $20 level. A big shipment of signed copies of my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly, just went out. I got more coming from the publisher. That's a great perk. And we post all kinds of the nonsense and weed hijinks. Hijinks? Hijinks, yeah, sure. Yes, I'll check it off the list. (laughs) Every single weedness Weedness day. (laughs) That's right. We took it over. That's right. You know what? First, the stoners took 420 and then 710. But we're going to one-up everyone by taking every single Wednesday of your life because every Wednesday is Weedness Day in this brave new world. That is how we are going to get it down to the four-day work week. This is going to be our next big push as a political movement. You know, we got to legalize it everywhere, of course. But once we get that, we're going to make Weedness Day the national weed holiday that happens once a weed. Some people call that once a week. Some people are still calling it, I think, Wednesday? Have you heard this? Yeah. 
And one more quick listener note, those of you who love our classic great moments in weed history, history stories, subscribe now. We have a great one coming for you next week. It is going to be the untold and uncovered history of one of the classic strains of all time, and that's going to be sponsored by our good friends at High 90s. So please subscribe now and make sure you get every single episode we put out. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. So let's get into today's topic. Bean, what do you got for us? Yeah, today, I mean, we have a pretty harsh story. It's a pretty difficult time in the world. And as we look at geopolitics and we look at this war, unfortunately, we have a weed story within that to talk about. Um, and that is the arrest and detainment in Russia of WNBA star Brittany Griner. Yeah, so this is an incredibly sad story. A lot of athletes use cannabis. It's not a shock in America that an athlete would have cannabis vape cartridges. But in Russia, cannabis is very, very illegal. And this is just an incredibly tragic turn of events. To reference just a couple of sports stories that we've done on the show, you know, we had Ricky Williams on and he talked about you know, losing his career in certain ways to failed drug tests. Or we had uh, snowboarder Ross Rebliati on, and he talked about losing and then regaining his Olympic gold medal. But right now, this story is about somebody facing up to 10 years in, in a Russian prison right now. So this is really on another scale. And then when you put it in the context of the conflict going on, between Russia and Ukraine and really the rest of the world in many ways. This is a very dangerous situation. Um, Brittany Griner, for anybody who's not familiar, she's 31 years old. She has won two Olympic gold medals for the U.S. playing basketball. She's won a WNBA championship with the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, she won a national championship in college at Baylor. She's a seven-time WNBA All-Star. She has also spent the last seven off-seasons playing basketball in Russia, where she also won a couple of championships. And the reason that she's there is because she can earn over $1 million per season in Russia, which is actually more than four times her WNBA salary. Yeah, and, you know, this uh, really shines a light on the continuing inequity between male and female sports. It is just not fair that athletes at this level should earn that much less than their male counterparts. And, of course, you know, it's true. Basketball is really popular all over the world. It's massive in Eastern Europe. It's massive in... China, it's massive in Russia, right? This is a very universal sport. But of course, you end up living in a country where the laws are just so draconian when it comes to cannabis. And furthermore, when it's a time of conflict, specifically one that involves a lot of posturing against the West, it's scary the idea that you could be made an example of. That's a really scary prospect. Obviously, you're going to be used as part of propaganda yeah, and I think it's important to note, you know, we're talking about a literal superstar comparable to like a LeBron James in the WNBA. Of course, anybody who is arrested anywhere for cannabis, whether they had cannabis on them or not, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, we support them. It's sometimes shines a light when it happens to somebody so prominent. But this is something that is going on every day, not just in Russia 
but obviously in the United States and all over the world. But what makes this such a scary situation, as you said, is the larger conflict that is giving this context. Her arrest was actually just reported this weekend by the New York Times, but Russian news sources have said that she has been in custody there in Russia for three weeks. She was arrested at the Moscow airport after Russian authorities said a search of her luggage revealed she had vape cartridges, which were said to contain oil derived from cannabis, and she could face up to 10 years in prison. Being in another country and being in possession of cannabis is very, very nerve wracking. You know, like I've definitely had my experiences being, as I'm sure you have, of being irresponsible uh, with cannabis, with illegal substances in countries where it's very illegal. But I did actually have an experience in Russia while I was shooting a doc for Vice called Russian Road Trip, which is actually still on YouTube and, and you can check that out. But what's not in the doc is that we were actually detained by the FSB, uh, you know, this was not long after the Crimean conflict of uh, 2014. And so they were, you know, very on guard. The thing you realize in Russia is that the Cold War never ended for them. If you ask any average American, what's the biggest threat to Americas? They probably say like Islamic terrorists or right wing nut jobs. We don't really think of like Russians. That's like from Die Hard or whatever. You know, it feels like very arcane. But they have not forgotten it. In the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't want to say that I'm Muslim because I just assumed that's what the prejudice would be. And when I said I was American, people were so sketched out. But then when I started saying, like, I'm I'm Pakistani, they were like, oh, Pakistan, alaikum. They were like totally cool with that. It's like Americans are the bad guys in a lot of parts of Russia, right? And we were basically detained by the FSB, which is the descendant of the KGB that Vladimir Putin came up in. It's a long story. It's really, really crazy. And actually, we should just do, you know, the story on the show at some point uh, in its entirety because it's fucking crazy. And I was also in the land of land race cannabis, right? This is the Altai Mountains in southern Siberia. But essentially, I was being interrogated, praying that this guy wouldn't Google my name because by this time, you would only seen pictures of me smoking pot. And there was a 400 milligram Chiba Chew in my bag in our van right outside. And I was like, if they catch wind of something and search my bag, I'm fucked. That thing is labeled. You know what I'm saying? So I sat there sweating bullets, but I managed to like charm the guy by talking about like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something. You know what I mean? Being like, oh, I used to live in Philadelphia. Yeah, you know, whatever or something like that. I don't know. It was It was very harrowing, but it gave me a real sense of how scary it is to be an American there, right? Let alone an American with cannabis. It's just fucking treacherous. Yeah, you mentioned Putin's background in the KGB. And now as president of that country, he has been involved in leading this propaganda war against the West, against everything that social democracy is about. And that really gets to the added layer of this when we talk about Brittany Griner is that she is a queer black woman also now being held in prison in one of the most oppressive places for LGBTQ people. Um, and yeah. she has also been politically outspoken in the United States. In, in 2020, she called for the WNBA to stop playing uh, the national anthem before games in protest of the killing of Breonna Taylor, which, of course, happened during a botched drug raid. And that's a result of oppressive drug laws. And these are the types of things that we have 
gotten further away from. Not everywhere in the United States, but thankfully in a lot of places, cannabis possession has been decriminalized, cannabis has been legalized. It is not without its problems, right? For the industry, for the market, for growers, for distribution, for whatever, the entire community. But at very least, there's an advance towards decriminalization. We take for granted that that's happening in this country. It is not happening in a lot of other countries. You know, there's been some comments that I saw online and and, and just kind of researching this, even weed people saying, well, what were you thinking having cannabis on you in Russia with these laws and with this oppressive authoritarian government in place. Well, first of all, we have an oppressive government here in the United States. We have the largest prison population largely because of our drug laws. So that's one. But also, fuck you if that's your reaction to somebody having this happen to them instead of solidarity. But third, and something I haven't seen talked about enough in the media, the war on drugs as it's waged in Russia is often used to target the political opponents of the government. Putin is certainly not shy about targeting his political opponents of any kind, and these drug laws make an ideal way for the police to plant drugs on somebody and create these situations and discredit or incarcerate their political opponents. This has been going on for many years in Russia, and so the idea that you're going to automatically assume that somebody actually had vape carts on them when this all seems very, very suspect that weeks before the start of this war, a prominent, well-known, even in Russia as an athlete, black queer woman just so happened to be the person that they catch really does not pass the smell test for me. This is the sort of ideology we're dealing with here. So that's indeed very, very scary. Why wouldn't they just plant carts on somebody? They're clearly not above it based on their past tactics. Yeah, and the idea that Putin would want to take a hostage prior to starting this war, mm-hmm. of course, makes strategic sense in a, in a sick and horrific way. The idea that he would choose somebody well-known, of course, makes a lot of sense. The idea that he would choose a queer black woman... On the one hand, it serves his purposes of saying these are the kind of people we don't want in Russia. But he also loves to point out U.S. hypocrisy as part of this propaganda war. And of course, as we say, this is horrible. They can point the finger and say, well, why do you have more people in prison for nonviolent drug crimes than the rest of the world combined? And it's just fucked up that a civilian, right, an athlete, is caught up in the crossfire uh, to be used as a pawn in this much larger game. And I think this also speaks to the global nature of cannabis culture. You know, when we talk about the actions of Putin, when we talk about the actions of the drug war industrial complex in the United States, you know, we all bear a responsibility for paying our taxes and sort of going along. But we can also point to the global cannabis community as the antidote to this. We know that there are cannabis people in Ukraine and in Russia and that our views and our struggles in this drug war bring us together. And in terms of the political aspect of this, you know, and planting drugs on people and using the war on drugs as a proxy war 
for fighting your political opponents, something that's been going on in the United States since 1937 with weed. I found this article from Radio Free Europe, and the headline is very telling. It's easy to ruin someone's life. Case revives discussion of Russia's fake drug prosecutions. In this article, uh, a lawyer who pushed back in one of these prominent cases said, quote, planting drugs is often used for political pressure. These cases are truly terrifying. It is very easy to ruin a person's life. A few grams of drugs and a person can go to prison for many years. Yeah, and based on the laws that the same institution planting those drugs has instituted. You know, we have to reflect on how destructive the initial gesture of prohibition globally really was because we are a century later, there's still all kinds of terrible discrimination that happens when it comes to drug enforcement all over the world. But yeah, you know, I I think today you should appreciate your, uh, you know, your freedom if you are in a place where you are legally allowed to possess and consume cannabis. Because, you know, this is a real reminder that a lot of the world is still in a very dark place when it comes to it. And then, of course, I think it's important for people to understand that legalization in the United States and Canada has brought a lot of Russian money into the industry. Which is not all that surprising because over the last decade or two... There's a lot of stories about Russian oligarch money in everything, including like <laughs> New York real estate. Essentially, every single major business, right, has some amount of foreign oligarch money fueling it. We had to drop Vlad's Blintzes as a sponsor. Uh, a wonderful symbiotic partnership crashed to, to smithereens mm. because of political differences. Petty, petty <laughs> political squabbles that led to the... The break between Great Moments in Weed History and Vlad's famous blintzes. And they are delicious blintzes on top of everything else, I gotta say, you know. And uh, to kind of bring this discussion uh, around to to the other side, uh, just a little shout out to the president of Ukraine. Zelensky actually has been pushing for medical cannabis legalization. I don't think it's probably the top issue on... Uh, the agenda right this moment, but starting in 2020, he's been leading that movement in the country and getting a lot of support for it. So, you know, another pretty clear distinction between these two forces that are in conflict. Yeah. So if you are a cannabis person, not sure somehow which side of this conflict you fall on, that's a good piece of information to have. Zelensky is a pro-cannabis guy. That's good to know. Thanks so much for that, Bean. Very interesting story. Yeah, and I think let's uh, all uh, here on the podcast and listening, let's light one up in solidarity with Brittany. Our thoughts are with her. And, you know, this may be a long road, but we need to keep this person in the foremost of our minds as a political prisoner, as a prisoner in the war on drugs, and as somebody who needs to come home and be with her wife and her family. Yeah, absolutely. This is for you, Brittany. All right, that's our second moment in weed. And I think that brings us to our one dope thing for the episode, correct? Indeed it does. Let me just switch up my background here (laughs) for our valued Patreon supporters. You can see this background. And actually, 
I don't know if this reference is very clear. If you know it, shout it out. Tweet at us or something. Let me know if you recognize this background. The one dope thing for today, I'll start out by saying that I have a high edible tolerance, okay? You know, it should make you real cool, but it, instead it just makes you lonely because you're the only person, you know? You're the only guy. Like, is there. It's like, you know, you got this massive fucking tolerance and, uh, you know, nobody can fuck with it, right? But also, I have met people out there who say edibles don't work for me, right? They say, I've done it. You know, like I eat 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 milligrams and nothing happens. So edibles don't work on me. And the thing I'm here to point out today is that edibles work for just about everybody. It's a matter of dosage. Now, we have not gotten to the bottom of this science, right? For some reason, people who smoke weed and dab all day, right? Some of them can take five milligrams and be completely wrecked. Some of them can take five milligrams and feel absolutely nothing, right? And need so much more to get high. And it has nothing to do with your experience, with your height or your weight. It's completely random. So the one dope thing for today is the heavy fucking edible, all right? This right here is Estonio. Uh, this is this is bootleg. This is, you know, completely <laughs> not on the market. You can't get this at a dispensary. Uh, and there's... 500 milligrams as you can see can you see that 500 milligrams of thc in two cookies all right that means that one cookie is 250 and for example like i ate this much i ate all the rest of that cookie i could not be brought to eat this last little piece so i think i probably ate about 200 milligrams right and i sort of got into a thing of like you know what i'm gonna get fucking high on edibles right now of course as the former host of Bong Appetit, you know, I got that job, right? Bean brought me in in the first place because I have a high edibles tolerance, right? Because literally, like, that's my special skill, right, Bean? This was like going to the bullpen in the ninth inning for the hard-throwing right-hander. You know what I mean? We we, we had a, uh, you know, not to talk out of school, but we had a, a couple of previous hosts on Bong Appetit, one, one of whom put up a couple of good innings and then the arm petered out and one of whom just got shelled uh, by the first three batters and we were, you know, in disarray and I, I said, this is it. We got to go to the pen. We need the closer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he found the, the, the Roy Halliday <laughs> of, of of having a high tolerance. Bean and I had known each other, and, you know, he hit me up. I happened to be in Denver and, like, rolled in to, to do this shoot. And, you know, I remember you being like, whoa, like, I know this guy, but I didn't know you had this freakish tolerance, <laughs> right? And we, like, you know, you get high, you know, but, like, for some reason with edibles, I have this extra high tolerance. Now, I have met people, of course, uh, you know, this because this always happens in weed world. There's always someone who consumes more. I've met people who eat like a thousand milligrams a day. And that's what gets them to medium. You know what I mean? And some people are sick. Some people are not. Some people just take it as a life supplement or whatever, right? But my thing is that I need to take a heavy fucking edible. Now, of course, the disclaimer, I'm sure, you know, being as the voice of reason is going to chime in and be like, <laughs> start low and go slow. Five milligrams at a time. Yes. Yes, I agree with all that, right? That you just, you should start low and go slow. But if you get to 30, 40, 50, 60 milligrams and you have a consistent dosage, right? And you're not feeling anything, try a little bit more. That's the great thing about cannabis is that there's no overdose, right? There's no point of no return 
You might fall asleep. You might get real dehydrated. You might throw up if you consume too much. Your body will reject. You know, like I, I've had that experience where I accidentally ate like 800 milligrams or something, mm -hmm. right? It was actually big peep treats, interestingly. They were so tasty that I just ate the mm -hmm. whole fucking bag. But so, you know, and then got on a plane, which was not a good idea. <laughs> but so I just rediscovered and I hide those edibles recently. The edible experience is so awesome. And despite my background with edible cannabis, right? I had forgotten that. I had forgotten how awesome it is to just eat some fucking weed and sit there and feel it and get high. So for anyone out there who wants to push their limits, eat a fucking heavy edible. Yeah, if you are in the FHT community... <laughs> Wait, what is... Wait, freakishly high... Oh, <laughs> freakishly high tolerance. <laughs> Then uh, a couple of suggestions. You know, if you are in the go start low and go slow community, continue to do that. If you are a newbie, continue to do that. But you know yourself. If you have that FHT lifestyle, the recommendation I'm going to say is like, hey, if you have access to the dispensary, it's going to be expensive because there's limits on how potent they can make each edible. And so that can really add up. Here's a great tip. You can make your own edibles at home. It is extremely cost-effective. And the same amount of weed will get you way higher if you turn it into edibles efficiently than smoking it. That's right. Obviously, we love both. But that's a great way to save money and get more high. And in this economy, who doesn't want that? Yeah, exactly. There's no waste to it. You know, when you smoke cannabis... Uh, you know, you're burning away a lot of the cannabinoids. Of course, we love the smoke cannabis because it's very ritualistic. We like to get high that way. But, you know, it really is the most efficient way to consume your weed. And Bean and I dedicated a huge chunk of our careers to explaining this process of making your own infused cannabis food in all kinds of different ways. Just look up Bong Appetit on YouTube, on Hulu, wherever, uh, and you'll see all of the different ways you can do it. We have studied this, right, <laughs> literally, and figured out the best ways to do it. So check it out. You can make your own infused food. But if you need to, make it fucking heavy, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to smoke to that. And then, Indeed. you know, uh, we got a lot of edibles in the house, so I think I'm gonna have to go a little higher dose than usual tonight. See if I can work my way. I don't think I don't see myself as a uh, maybe as an HT aspiring to be an FHT. <laughs> one day, Bean. One day. Thank you so much for that story. Uh, that was really fascinating, and of course, you know our hearts go out to Brittany. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you support us on Patreon, thank you very much. If you don't, please check us out at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. You'll get all kinds of bonus material for supporting us, including the video version of this very episode you're hearing right now. Yep. And if you don't have the money or you have the money and you're saving it to buy a high-dose edible that, that's legit, <laughs> please, please listen to my voice. Tell a friend. You know, you listened all the way to the end of this one. You may have listened to all 50 episodes. You can hook us up with that. You know, grab that phone, text a few friends, tell them, hey, let's get high on history together. Hell yeah. And thanks for hanging out. We'll see you next time on Moments in Weed. <laughs>